0: This summer, the world must answer one question. Why has no one made a popsicle that gets you high yet? That's right, it's summer, and it's time for you to get your hands on America's new favorite product, Danksicles. 20 milligrams of THC in two great flavors, the latest and greatest innovation from Indicloud. Is Indicloud the greatest company to come out of America? Maybe. Head over to indicloudco co/spring24. That's co, not com, to snag thirty percent off your first order. Hey everyone, I'm Nikki Young, and this is Serial Napper an international true crime podcast. Before we get into tonight's case, I have a super exciting announcement. Well, I'm excited about it. I've finally launched my patron program. So if you like the podcast, consider joining my patron program. You'll unlock benefits like bonus ad-free episodes that are exclusive to patrons only. You'll get discounts on my merch store, a shout out on the show, exclusive access to my true crime discussion group, and more. I'm also going to be adding some fun options like co-hosting opportunities and free gifts as we go along. If you're interested in all the details and want to become a patron, make sure you visit patron.podbean.com slash I'll also have the link in my show notes. Becky Watts was a 16-year-old girl growing up with some of the same struggles that many of us have faced as teenagers. She was dealing with bullying and eating disorder, a complicated relationship with her parents. In February of 2015, she went missing from her home in Bristols, UK, and while it was initially believed that she had run away from home, the real truth behind the matter could be found in the very home she lived in. This is the sad story of a young woman who had overcome so much in her life before it was tragically taken from her by someone she should have been able to trust. Tonight's episode is sponsored by the Grand Alpha Coffee Company, which is a veteran-owned coffee company that sources and provides the freshest coffee on the internet. As the wife of a veteran, I always make a point to support veteran-owned businesses, and I was stoked to see the incredibly caffeinated products that the Grand Alpha Coffee Company provides, because no one knows what a great cup of coffee can do for the soul like a vet does. They pride themselves on quality and freshness because their coffee isn't roasted until the day it ships to their customers. The Grand Alpha Coffee Company also supports our military, veterans, and first responders. And they offer a lifetime discount code that is personalized to each person so that they can use it forever. I know I have lots of veterans who listen to my podcast, so make sure you get in touch for your own discount code. Visit GrandAlphaCC.com or click the link in my show notes. Stay tuned halfway through tonight's episode to learn more about some of the goodies I found while shopping on their site. All right, let's jump in. Rebecca Marie Watts, better known as Becky or Bex, was born on June 3rd, 1998 to her parents Tanya Watts and Darren Galsworthy. She had beautiful brown hair that looked red when the sun hit it the right way, and she had these big hazel eyes. Just a beautiful young lady who was growing into an even more beautiful young woman. Her parents were no longer together. They had a very much on-again, off-again type of relationship that was more off than was on when she was born. In fact, when Becky was born, her father wasn't even sure if she was his, but he was smitten with her right away, and the two were very close as the years went by. Also, it was later confirmed through DNA testing that Becky was his. And while she kept her mother's maiden name, she actually lived with her father, Darren, and her stepmother, Angie. Her father, Darren, had been in a relationship with her stepmother, Angie, since Becky was only two years old. So Angie was pretty much a second mother to her, and she was like a daughter to Angie. Becky's birth mother, Tanya, had financial difficulties, and so Becky had almost always lived with her father and her stepmother. Becky also had an older brother named Daniel, who had also lived with their father and stepmother. But in later years, he moved back in with their mother, Tanya. Now, stepmom Angie was said to be an incredibly kind and loving person. She loved children and really felt like Becky was her very own daughter. Angie also had a son of her own from a previous marriage named Nathan Matthews, who was around 10 years older than Becky. Nathan had grown up living with his grandmother during the week, and then stayed with Darren and Angie on the weekends. Nathan didn't see a whole lot of his father, unfortunately. Growing up in the household, there was now Angie her son Nathan, Darren, and his two children, Danny and Becky. And as with most families who try to combine and make it work, there were some kinks to work out. Becky was too young to know that anything was any different. Danny was just excited to now have this new older brother, Nathan, to play with. But Nathan was old enough to notice all the nuances. And honestly, he was a little bit jealous. He was now only spending time on the house on the weekends. And his mother was caring for two other children. Two children other than him. And because of this... He was a little bit overprotective of his mom. He didn't really like sharing his mother's love and attention with the other kids in the home. And personally, this sounds like a very natural reaction and response to me. Now back to Becky. She was a very shy kid. Like seriously shy. When she went to primary school, she was so shy that she wouldn't let Angie leave her at the school. I can relate. I was pretty much the same way, but it was so bad that eventually Angie decided to become an unpaid classroom helper so that she could stay close to her. It got worse during secondary school when Becky was bullied over her weight, and she became anorexic at the age of only 13. She dropped to less than 83 pounds, so she was tiny, tiny, tiny. Looking at her photos, she was never overweight, not even before the anorexia. These girls in school were just being cruel. But she would come home from school crying every day, and she even refused to go to school at one point, which meant she fell behind in her grades, and she had to be home-tutored. Her father would say, Becky was bullied about her weight, and we almost lost her to anorexia. But with a lot of care from us and hospital education, we were able to get our Becky back. And Becky, unfortunately, wasn't only bullied at school. She was also bullied at home by her stepbrother, Nathan. Remember, Nathan is 10 years older than Becky, so the two never really had a chance to bond like a brother and sister might. If anything, Nathan just felt jealous of Becky and her relationship with his mom. He would make fun of her looks and her weight. He would call her fat, even knowing that she was battling with anorexia. Thankfully, she was able to recover from her eating disorder, but she continued to struggle with depression and anxiety. Because of her mental and physical health issues, and the fact that she was removed from her birth mother's home and placed in the care of her father and stepmother, she had been seen by a number of professionals over the years. At one point in her life, Becky had been the victim of sexting at the hands of another young peer at her school who told her that the explicit pictures that she sent would be posted online. Becky told caseworkers about this incident sometime around May 2014 and said she was worried her father would throw her out of the house if he found out. This was a threat that he had actually carried out in the past. In one instance, after an argument with her father, she was told to leave one Christmas and she had to go stay at her friend's house. Because of things like this, she had exhibited serious anxiety about this whole situation being made permanent, about being permanently kicked out of her home. Becky was really clingy with her family and she was always terrified that she might one day be abandoned. All of this anxiety was something that she had to battle on a daily basis. When Becky was 15 years old, her stepmom, Angie, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which is a physically debilitating condition. It can cause pain, muscle weakness, mobility problems, a whole range of issues. And it did cause a lot of stress and tension in the home, as everyone had to kind of pick up the slack and help out more. When Becky was around 16 years old, She seemed to turn things around. She still struggled with anxiety and depression, but she had started to become more confident and she developed an interest in clothes, makeup, and shoes. Your typical 16-year-old girl. She started to come out of her shell and socialize more. She was making friends and she even had a high school boyfriend named Luke. One night, February 18th, 2015, she attended a social evening at the local rugby club. Then she stayed up all night with a friend playing computer games and watching movies. She texted her boyfriend back and forth the whole night, with her last text to him saying, I love you so much. She returned mid morning to her home in the St. George area of Bristol. Then it was radio silence. She doesn't text her friends, she doesn't text her boyfriend. She doesn't update social media, nothing. When she doesn't turn back up at home later that day, and her father and stepmother can't reach her by her cell phone, they begin to get worried. At first, they thought that maybe she was just with her friends. Maybe her phone was dead, or she was just busy and unable to answer the call. But on February 20th, when Becky still hadn't returned home, and she was still unreachable... Her father and stepmother called police to report her missing. At this point, no one had seen Becky for 48 hours. When police showed up at the home to take a report, they found that her phone, laptop, and tablet computer were missing from the house, but she hadn't taken any money or spare clothes with her. They spoke with family and friends who were gathered at the home now and discovered that she didn't tell anyone that she was going anywhere. Last time they had spoken to her, everything seemed completely fine, completely normal, and she never mentioned leaving or running away. It was completely out of character for Becky to just leave like this, especially without telling her boyfriend, who she was really close to. Then, while police are collecting everyone's statement, a young woman by the name of Shauna Hoare speaks up, and that's H-O-A-R-E, and she says she has a bit of information that might help. Shauna is the girlfriend of that stepbrother, Nathan. Shauna and Nathan had an interesting relationship that we'll get into a bit later, but the two met and began a relationship when Shauna was just 14 or 15 years old and Nathan was in his early 20s. Yeah, gross. Shauna said that she had been in the family home on February 19th, the day that Becky went missing, because she was there with Nathan helping to take care of his mother, Angie. She believed that she had heard Becky in the house that morning. She never actually saw Becky, but she thought she heard her moving around the home and that she heard her stomping down the stairs and then the front door slammed. So she had assumed it had been Becky leaving the home. With this information in mind, police initially thought that she had likely just run off, so they didn't really put a whole lot of importance on finding her right away. They thought that she was likely just another teen runaway, but Becky's parents knew better. Becky did like to go out with her friends and did often spend time away from the home, but the fact that she wasn't in contact with anyone, not even her boyfriend, gave them the feeling that something was very wrong. So, they did what they could and they turned to social media for help. They started a social media campaign with the hashtag, #FindBecky. It had her missing poster attached to it with her photo and description. Over 2 million people would be reached through this social media campaign, but even still, they were no closer to finding out where Becky was. She seemed to have vanished. Nobody had seen her. On February 22nd, Avon and Somerset Police made their first appeal for information about Becky's disappearance, and the following day, her father and grandmother appeared at a press conference, appealing for her return. Her family believed that she hadn't run away at all and that she had likely been kidnapped. I'm going to play a clip of Becky's father, Darren, appealing for her safe return in a media interview. Just a warning, it might break your heart. But if you can see this, get in contact. And if anyone out there knows of it, just tell us. Spring, i safe. If you've got her, then put her somewhere we can find her. We want her home. Please. Police searched the area for Becky, along with hundreds of volunteers from the community who all came together to look for her. They searched the woods, the lakes, parks, any abandoned buildings, but nothing was found. While the searches were happening around the area of Bristol, police continued to interview those who were closest to Becky just to see if there was any more information maybe they had forgotten anything that could help point them in the direction of Becky. One of the pieces of information that just didn't seem to sit right with police was the detail given by Shauna Hoare, Nathan's girlfriend. So they focused much of their efforts on these two. In Shauna's interview, she seemed to be really giggly, kind of nervous. She was bouncing around, which they felt was inappropriate in a situation that was so serious. In Nathan's interview, he was the complete opposite. He acted like he was almost bored, irritated, like he could care less that his stepsister was missing. Police felt like something was just off with these two, but again, it was just a hunch. They had no actual proof to back it up. which is why I'm excited to use Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn and has been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, and more. Rosetta Stone helps you to think in the language you're learning using an intuitive process that's designed for long-term retention. Their built-in True Accent feature gives you feedback on your pronunciation so that you're easily understood by native speakers. They have convenient desktop and app options, so you can learn on the go, and they offer a lifetime membership that includes all 25 languages at an incredible value. And now you can save even more with 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Sunnier, warmer days are almost here. Why not get a head start on looking and feeling your best this summer by trying something new like Factor's no prep, no mess meals that are ready to eat in just two minutes? Get a helping hand to meet your wellness goals with Factor's Chef Crafted Meals that include different nutritional options like calorie smart. Protein Plus, and Keto. Healthy meal planning has never looked so good with Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals that are also dietitian-approved. No matter how busy you are, Factor can help kickstart and maintain a new healthy routine by making it easy to enjoy nutritious meals on the go. Plus, you'll never get bored eating the same thing every day because they offer 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. Okay, let's take a minute to talk about Nathan and Shauna. Nathan had studied to be an electrician, but he failed the course and he ended up becoming a delivery driver for Domino's Pizza and a Chinese restaurant. He would go on to join the Territorial Army part-time. I had to Google what a Territorial Army is. But Google says that it's a part of the military forces of Britain. It's made up of people who are not professional soldiers, but they're given military training for a period of time each year. Sounds sort of like a soldier in training type thing. Eventually, he quit that. He did suffer from fibromyalgia, which left him often racked with pain, depressed, and anxious, but mostly just angry. He was known to have violent, angry outbursts. He was living in a house with his girlfriend, Shauna, and like I mentioned before, the pair had met and began dating when Shauna was only 14 and Nathan was 20, so Nathan was clearly into young girls. Shauna had a difficult childhood growing up, so it's not difficult to see how or why she might be manipulated by an older man. She was taken into care as a child before moving back in with her birth mother, Lisa Donovan, who had seven other children. Shauna's mother and Nathan hated each other, which only further pushed Shauna into his arms. The pair eventually moved in together in a small place near his mother's home, and Shauna became a registered caregiver for Angie. Remember, Angie has multiple sclerosis, so they were often in the family home where Becky lived, taking care of Angie. So now that we're all caught up on Nathan and Shauna and a bit of their sort of twisted love story, you can understand why police thought that they had to take a closer look at the pair. And because no one had seen Becky after Shauna had supposedly heard her leave the home that morning, she hadn't been picked up on the security cameras or anything, police began to wonder if Becky had ever really left the home at all. So they asked Becky's dad, Darren, and stepmom, Angie, to move out of the house so that they could thoroughly investigate and collect more evidence. During the search, they found what they believed to be blood on the doorframe of Becky's bedroom, as well as a set of fingerprints in this blood, The supposed blood. These bits of evidence were sent off for analysis, and the investigation continued. Police decide to call Nathan and Shauna back in for more questioning. They were the last ones to supposedly be around her before she went missing, after all. In these interviews, both Nathan and Shauna claimed that they disliked the way Becky treated Angie and Darren. They felt like she was self-centered, spoiled, and that she manipulated the couple. Nathan went as far as to say that he didn't even really like Becky. And while all of this was notable, it still wasn't enough information for police to really be able to point a finger at Nathan. So they let both Nathan and Shauna leave again. But the next day, they would get some bombshell information. Those fingerprints that had been found in the what they thought was blood on Becky's doorframe, they came back to match Nathan. And a few days later, they would get confirmation that the blood, it was blood, matched Becky. Now police had more than just a hunch to go on. This was concrete evidence that maybe something had happened in that bedroom relating to Nathan and Becky. Police went to the home where Nathan and Shauna lived to arrest them on suspected kidnapping. They still didn't have confirmation of whether or not Becky was alive or dead at the time, so suspected kidnapping was the best they could do. Back at the police station, they pressed Shauna for more information first. There's videos on YouTube of her police interview, and the whole thing is really strange you can tell she's lying. Some people are really good at lying. Some people are really, really bad at lying. She is really bad at lying. You can tell she wants to give police everything that she knows, but she doesn't. When they ask her if she has any information to help them find Becky, she literally pauses for like three seconds and her eyes dart around the room before she says no. When police interview Nathan, he keeps a straight face. He continues just to deny knowing anything. He's really straightforward, and eventually, he just shuts down and stops answering questions. While these interviews are happening, of course, there is a search happening at their home, which is cluttered, filthy. It's, it's, it's gross. They lived in a bedroom with a toaster and a kettle next to the bed so that they didn't have to get up to eat and drink. That's how filthy and lazy this pair were. The whole house was just stacked with belongings and trash. It looked like it was straight out of an episode of Hoarders. The only thing clean in that entire house was the bathtub in the upstairs bathroom, which was spotless and very obviously cleaned on purpose. Police also found receipts, which included a circular saw goggles and a face mask with the information that was included on the receipt they were able to go to the store and pull up the security video footage which showed nathan and shauna wandering around the store casually and then checking out with their brand new saw goggles and face mask now with all of this new evidence police went back to question nathan and he crumbled as soon as they mentioned the upstairs bathtub The bloody fingerprint, he just gave it all up. He knew it was over. So he said he wanted to speak to his lawyer and he prepared a written confession as to what he had done, supposedly. Anyway, here is what his statement said. I, Nathan Charles Matthews, date of birth 9 of January 1987, accept that I am responsible for the death of Rebecca Watts. On the 19th of February, 2015, I attended 18 Crown Hill, St. George, Bristol, with my girlfriend, Shawna Hoare. 18 Crown Hill is where my mother lives with Darren Galsworthy. Rebecca Watts also lived there. Shawna is my mother's registered carer, so we regularly go to the house to help with housework and other help my mother needs. Although we usually went there on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, We did also go there on other days. On Thursday, the 19th of February, part of the reason for going around was to return a tin to my grandmother. My grandmother was due to take my mother to a medical appointment and bring her back. In my car, I had a large bag, a stun device, handcuffs, tape, and a mask. I had developed an idea to scare Rebecca by kidnapping her. I wanted to kidnap her to scare her and teach her a lesson. I believed that she was selfish and her behavior towards my mother was a risk to her health. When we go to 18 Crown Hill, we let ourselves in with the key my mother had left in the recycling box. Upon entering the property, we all went to the front room. A few minutes after arriving, Shauna said she wanted a cigarette and went into the garden. When they were in the garden, I went to the boot of my car and took out a bag which contained the other items. I took everything upstairs to the landing. I think I then took the items out of the bag before knocking on Rebecca's door. She replied, what, or hello, and I said, can I see you a minute, or similar words. Rebecca then opened the door. I am wearing a mask. I cannot be sure which order things happened immediately after she came to the door, but I used the items I had to subdue Rebecca. During a short struggle, my mask slipped, and Rebecca was able to see my face. That caused me to panic, and I strangled her while she was partially in the bag. I collected the items I had used, put them and Rebecca into the bag, and zipped up the bag. I also took her phone, tablet, and laptop together with shoes, some clothes, and a duvet cover from the spare room in a separate bag. I took everything downstairs, and I put it into the boot of my car. Back in the house, I waited to hear Shauna then slammed the front door shut, Before going into the front room, I checked that Shauna was not in that room, and then go in and sit, then go and sit on the sofa. The rest of the day at the house goes as it would normally if we were there. We leave at about 7 p.m. We return to go to 14 Cotton Mill Lane. I go and lie on our bed, which is what I would normally do. The rest of the evening passed as usual, but I cannot remember exactly what we did. After Shauna went to bed and sleep... I waited a while and went out to the car and brought the bags into the house. The following day, we went back around to 18 Crown Hill, and I tried to behave. I tried to behave as normal as I could. When we returned to 14 Cotton Mill Lane, I again waited for Shauna to go to sleep. This time, I collect the bag with Rebecca's body and take it to the bathroom. I took the body out of the bag and placed it in the bath. In order to stop Shauna using the bathroom... The following morning, I poured drain cleaner down the toilet so I could tell Shauna it was blocked again. The toilet would often go blocked, and when that happened, I knew Shauna would not go into the bathroom. My memory of the days that followed is not perfect, so I'm not sure which day I returned to 14 Cotton Mill Lane, having left Shauna at my mother's, but I think it was Saturday. When I got back to 14 Cotton Mill Lane, I tried to dispose of the body by cutting it up with a circular saw. Initially, I wrapped up the body parts and took them back downstairs and hid them, I'm not sure how many days later, but on another day, I took the body, the saw, and the other items to 9 Barton Court, Barton Hill, and placed them in a garden shed. I took them to the address with two other people. I did not tell them what was in the bags and box, I said I would collect them in a few days. I have chosen to give my account by means of a written statement because I believe I have mental health and learning difficulties that make it difficult for me to say out loud. Also, I find it difficult to express the detail in this account in spoken words. I would like to add that my denials to date have been motivated in part by a wish to avoid the pain and disappointment these omissions would cause to my partner and family. The statement was written by my solicitor, but it has been read by me and I confirm that this is an accurate account. Shauna did not know anything about me causing the death of Rebecca or my attempt to dispose of and hide the body. Had she known, she would have reported me to the police. So, yeah. To summarize, Nathan says he did all of this alone and Shauna knew nothing of it and that this was initially just a plan to scare Becky, because Becky was rude to his mother. Can we just take a second to talk about the absolute horseshit that this was and is? There's no way that Shauna stood outside having a smoke while Nathan killed Becky. There's no way that back at their home, he was able to dismember her in the bathtub while Shauna knew nothing of it. It's not believable to me, and it definitely was not believable to the police. It turned out Shauna was pregnant with twins. Yep, she was pregnant with Nathan's twins. And this might be one reason why Nathan wanted to keep her out of prison. When police go back to question Shauna, telling her that Nathan had just confessed to killing Becky, she acts surprised, like she's just hearing this information for the first time. It almost seems like this was always the plan, that if they were caught, Nathan would take the fall for Shauna, and Shauna would just deny any involvement until the bitter end. While all of this is happening, police go to collect Becky Watt's dismembered body, which is found in eight separate parts. They're hidden behind a garden shed on a neighbor's property. The garden shed was owned by friends of the couple, Carl Demetrius and his partner, Jaden Parsons who later admitted to assisting Nathan. They had reportedly been offered a share of 10,000 pounds by Nathan to help him out. Nathan is officially charged with the murder of his stepsister, Becky Watts. Police don't have any evidence against Shauna, but they feel as if she knows more than what she's saying. So even though they're arresting Nathan now, they continue to investigate Shauna. That's when they discover some disgusting, horrifying text messages between the couple. Nathan and Shauna had exchanged intimate messages about kidnapping young petite girls in the months leading up to Becky's murder. In one message, Nathan wrote to Shauna, Fuck, you bring me back two pretty schoolgirls then. Shauna replies, LOL, yeah, I'll just kidnap them from school. Later on the same day, Shauna sent Nathan a message that said, Just went to cost-cutter and saw a very pretty petite girl. Almost knocked her out to bring home, lol. XOXO. Less than a minute later, Nathan responds, Don't you almost me? Now fucking do it, bitch. Shauna replies, LMFAO, yeah, I'll just go back in time to when I saw her, time travel with her to our attic, LOL. Police confiscated other evidence of their perverted obsession, their phones, computers. They were both used to access porn that was focused on teens, young women dressed as schoolgirls, and threesomes. They had enough evidence to originally charge Shauna with perverting the course of justice, but that was later changed to murder. Nathan and Shauna were also charged with conspiracy to kidnap, preventing the lawful burial of a body, and possession of an illegal weapon. The couple were also charged with four unrelated counts of making indecent images of children. In court, the family had to hear of the horrific way that 16-year-old Becky was killed. Becky had suffered more than 40 bruises to her body, as well as 19 knife wounds, which were inflicted after her death. She had been dismembered, packaged up in cling film, wrapped in bath mats and a shower curtain, and then hidden away in a suitcase. Nathan stuck to his story. He admitted to killing Becky, but he denied committing murder. Instead, claimed manslaughter, telling the court that he had tried to kidnap her as a way of scaring her, but the plan went wrong and he accidentally killed her. Which, okay, that's absolute bullshit, but cool. And Nathan insisted the killing took place while Shauna was in the garden and that she wasn't involved. And Shauna who also denied the murder, said that she had no knowledge of or involvement in Becky's death. She also said those text messages about kidnapping schoolgirls in the month before, they were just unfortunate and sarcastic. The trial lasted almost five weeks, and in the end, only Nathan Matthews was found guilty of murder and was sentenced to 33 years in prison. Shauna Hoare was instead found guilty of manslaughter and is currently serving 17 years. Now, as far as Becky's father, Darren, and stepmother, Angie, they had a lot to deal with going through all of this mess. It was Angie's biological son who had murdered Darren's biological daughter, and they now had to pick up the pieces. Darren admitted that initially he blamed his wife for bringing his daughter's killer into the world, but he has since stuck by Angie's side throughout it all. Really, she had lost a daughter too. She had pretty much raised her, so they were both victims in this. The latest news article I read said that Angie's health has gone way downhill since the murder. She's now in a wheelchair, and her dying wish is that she can be buried next to Becky. When talking about her son, she said in a media interview, "'I want to know why it happened. I just want to see that he feels guilty.' I want to know that he understands what he's done, not only to Becky, but to me as well. I want him to know that he's destroyed my life and that soon I'll be dead and I'll die brokenhearted. I'll ask him why. I'll tell Nathan I can never forgive him for what he's done. I'm going to plead with him to let me visit him in jail. This article was from 2016, so I'm not sure what the latest update or if she's even still alive. I couldn't find anything from this year or last year. Becky's father, Darren, he wrote a really heartbreaking and a very detailed book. I highly recommend checking it out if you want to know more about Becky and this story. It's called Evil Within. This poor man has suffered so much, and I hope wherever he is now that he's found a bit of peace in his heart. The only updates on Nathan Matthews that I found are regarding how he's been bullied in prison. Like, I give a fuck. And as for Shauna Hoare, well... Apparently, she's at a really nice facility that has dance, meditation, yoga, movie night, and no, I'm not kidding. Last I heard, she was also asking for permission to marry her prison girlfriend. So I guess things are going well for her. In the end, the only person that matters here is Becky Watts and her family. You guys, hug your loved ones a little tighter tonight. Becky Watts' story is a reminder that our babies don't stay babies for long, and they are such a precious gift to us all. Life is too short. That's it for me tonight. I'd like to once again thank my sponsor. Make sure you check out Grand Alpha Coffee Company at GrandAlphaCC.com, a veteran-owned business that gives back to other veterans. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper. Or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, all one word. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you give me a like, thumbs up, and subscribe. If you'd like to become a patron and unlock some badass bonuses, visit patron.podbean.com slash Serial Napper. Until next time, don't be a dommer. Bye. I'm Dean. I'm the dad. I'm Laura. I'm the mom. And I'm Krislyn, I'm the daughter. And together we are... Family Plot! The Family Plot Podcast, a show where we discuss history, folklore, true crime, and the paranormal. Minus all the oogie bits, we are PG-13. I'm almost 15 miles. Don't ruin the commercial! Do catch us looking into special topics like... The Origins of Fairy Tales. Sherlock Holmes. And the Trial of Dr. Hyde and Mr. Swope. Find out who Dad Man Crush is. Or what happens in Krista's Corner. But behave you too. So come be a part of the fam. Available on Google, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Family Plot Podcast. Bye.